Welcome to SickCast, brought to you by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. This episode of the SickCast is from a live webinar that originally aired on July 21st, 2021. Thank you for joining today's webinar hosted by the Sick Research Institute. This webinar will begin with a 40-minute moderated discussion between our panelists today, after which we will have um, 20 minutes of Q&A from the audience. So please drop your questions in the chat box and be sure to include your name and city. I'd like to start today off by introducing our presenters. Um, we have Harinder Singh, who serves as the Senior Fellow Research and Policy at the Sick Research Institute. He's a widely respected educator and thinker who's deeply in love with One Force, the oneness that radiates in all. He co-founded the Sikh Research Institute and the Punjab Digital Library, organized the Free Afal Sat Movement, and envisioned Core and Singh Academy. His current focus is on availing the message of the Guru Granth Sahib to global populations and developing critical thinking in Sikh institutions. He currently resides in the United States with his wife and two children. Jasleen Gore is a WVA grad in religious studies, focusing on South Asian religions through the lens of literature and poetry. She's currently working as a researcher with Sikri. She is passionate about projects that create comfortable spaces for community members of all ages and backgrounds to engage in dialogue and learn from, from one another. Uh, she hopes to eventually go back to school to pursue a PhD in either religious ethnography or history and fulfill her dream of teaching and learning from others. So today's conversation will be focused on the um, seventh state of the month report titled MUAPD, the Political Spiritual Sick Doctrine. Um, this is kind of building off of a conversation that we had last year around MUAPD, uh, actually exactly one year from today. So um, we're thinking about how that conversation is shifting and focused, even within just the context of that one year. Um, this report is being released today on MUAPD Day. Um, so before we get into talking about what the report says about MediBD. Um, I'd love it, Justine Gore, if you could start off by sharing why MediBD was chosen as, as the um, focus for this report uh, and situating it, I guess, within the larger context of what State of the Month actually is. Yeah, uh, good morning and Fateh, everyone. Um, so just to, before I get into why, um, we started uh, doing the State of the Bun series a few years ago, and it's a series of reports focusing on sick matters. Um, so we survey the general population, we ask them questions related to a topic to get a sense of where we're all at, how we all understand a certain thing, maybe um, what we think about a certain thing. And then we frame that survey within a larger report exploring a subject. So we've done reports on abortion, sexuality, who is a sick. Um, and, and when we were talking about what to do next. Uh, it was a, a year ago and, and uh, maybe a little over a year ago. And at least in the US, it was primary election season. And we were thinking a lot about just politics and political engagement. I think a lot of six um, in just kind of the public discourse, we're talking about this. Um, 
and the, and we live in a time where we're all much more sort of politically engaged, partially because we have to be. We we have a lot more access to information about what's going on politically, no matter where we live. Um, and so then the question comes up of like, how do I how do I assert my understanding of um, Midi Pidi doctrine? How do I understand that and our ideas of sovereignty and also exist as a human being who's like a citizen under like a modern nation state? Like, how do I combine those things and understand those things in their relationships to one another? So um, those were large questions that we were having. We were also seeing um, outside of kind of just like the the area of like elections and voting, we were seeing the farmers protest beginning and how so many people are able to assert that doctrine outside of just like voting and outside of just that kind of what we maybe consider like classical political engagement. Um, and there we saw organizing mass organizing. So we, we were thinking of all these questions um, and that's why we kind of settled on, on this because it's, it's a thing that I think a lot of us are, curious about and maybe don't fully, fully understand the media doctrine. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Thing, was there anything that you wanted to add? Uh, sure, Manandar. Gurupate, everyone, and greetings of the day. Uh, you know, in, in addition to what Jasleen said, this is a conversation which is always taking place, but mostly when six, especially in the quote-unquote punctic circles, invoke Miripiri, they really keep it at a very historical and ideal levels. They're really not uh, wrestling with it, if I may use that word, to figure out what to do with it in our contemporary realities, just like what Guru Nanak did with it, or what Guru Hargobind Pasha did with it. Every guru who uh, not only just talked about the doctrine, because that's the awareness generation, that's the imparting of the ideas on how to live as a Sikh, but they're actually being active in both spiritual political arenas. So, you know, we, we usually think of this as being some ideal, which it is, but it's very much a doctrine and that's why we named it as such. It needs to be interpreted uh, by all generations, just like in 18th century, six did it in post-guru period. And last hundred years ago, uh, and throughout the hundred years they were doing it, we need to be doing it today. And not only during American elections or Indian elections, or SGPC elections, or Punjab elections, or now DSGMC elections, or your Gurdwara elections. This is really a question of policies. Uh, how do we make uh, the Sikh way of life based on Ikku Ankara Nam implementable in a way which are affecting this sort of a, uh, uh, looting, as if I may call Gurdwara, pick the Gurdwara's word, this looting by only the spiritual and only by the political. So this wrestling is required today. It's required every day. In Atlanta, Georgia, they're discussing how to fight voter suppression. In India, they're discussing why is the DNC, DZS, DSGMC head, the current president, in Hazur Saab, and what is Akal Takar going to do about that because they are manipulating the next elections because of the corruption charges. So this is very much on our faces everywhere in the world, not just where the larger Sikh diasporas are, and we really need to understand what really is Miri Piri, how it has been practiced and understood over the generations, and how can we actually uh, wrestle with it in order to make the realities of our communities better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's something in the report that touches upon, um, like, 
yeah, thinking about how you can push the center without um, specifically always focusing on um, politicians or what we would like consider um, like the, yeah, what we would associate commonly with the political as like politicians. So like pushing the center without focusing on the center. But that's something we can talk about um, later on in our conversation. You kind of already touched upon it, Herndor saying, but just Lingor, I'm wondering um, if there's, if you can share some of the common misconceptions about media theory doctrine that were um, tackled both within the report. Um, and I guess that would be influenced by what you had seen in the survey results. Yeah, I'm really curious to see or to hear about what um, like the funds was saying about MediaPD. Yeah, so it, I think one of the most common misconceptions about MediaPD is that like it started with Guru Haribu and Sai. So that like Guru Nanak Sai was just a PD guru. And like that, that like Midi didn't enter until Guru Hargobind Sahib. And I think that's rooted in maybe how we understand Midi Pidi as just being about um, sort of organizing militarily um, and sort of like narrowing what we define as like a political thing. Um, and so part of what we did in the report was through the framing of Jagjit Singh's like uh, three sort of goals of the Sikh revolution. We took that framing and we traced Midi Pidi from Guru Nanak Sahib all the way to Guru Gobind Singh Sahib and beyond. Um, and we explored things like, you know, what, what is like a deeply political thing that Guru Nanak Sahib did? Bearing witness to the atrocities of Babur is a political act. Writing about that is a political act. Um, establishing longer and just like upending systems merely with your words, like, like building a following where systems are being threatened, hegemonies are being threatened. That is a political act. Um, Gurangan Sahib, like codifying Gurmukhi to accommodate many languages to increase accessibility, um, where before the priestly cl class was the only group that had accessibility to certain things, to certain spiritualities, right? Like th these are all political things, the establishment of cities, um, centralizing power, establishing trade, all of that is political and it all was happening starting with Guru Nanak Sahib and continuing through the Guru period and beyond. So I think that's a large misconception and it's really rooted in, in how we define what is political. Um, and I think another thing that we saw in the survey was also just like the the belief that like when it comes to Midi one has to take precedence over the other instead of them being in this kind of constant relationship and dialogue with one another. And so I think that was really common. Something that was interesting is that like there was one like sort of gender split based on how people identify um, where people who identify as women were saying that actually the religious should not take precedence over the political and actually the political and the religious should be kept separate, not in a majority, but it, it was just more split where women were, were responding that way, or they were saying the religious should not take precedence over the political. And so part of what that kind of raised for us, knowing that the majority of our respondents were from North America is like how much that sort of doctrine of like separation of church and state that we see in like the West is very much in, in like six psyches, at least in a lot of diaspora countries. And then also like how a lot of times that relationship between the religious and the political, as we might understand it, let's say in like North America is a lot of times about like, policing women's bodies. And so, so it made sense to us that there was mm -hmm. that split. But 
I think that misconception is rooted in like equating meaty beauty with like the combination of what we call church and state in this country and in other countries um, in the kind of quote unquote West. Um, so yeah, those were large ones. I actually, um, I did find it surprising that like 80% of respondents did say like, it is possible to assert meaty beauty doctrine while you're a citizen under a, a different nation state. I think that was like surprising to me, but um that is something that we explore in the report. So there were some things that I expected to go one way and didn't, and some things that I was not expecting when it came to the survey and sort of misconceptions that, that we've seen through that. Mm -hmm. I guess a follow-up question I have is, was, was there a particular spot within the survey that you saw um, participants disengaging or they weren't answering as fully? Um, yeah, I'm wondering if you saw that. I think the... I think what tends to happen with, with most of our surveys is that when it comes to like longer answers where we're asking for sort of input on like solutions, people tend to disengage there because we don't always have solutions or we don't always have recommendations as individuals. I think that just, that just shows the need for, for deeper explorations of these things. Um, I will say that there is a section in the report where we asked about these imperfect systems, which her and their thing had mentioned, but we ask about like how, people engage knowing that the systems are imperfect. And if we want to talk about like disengagement, not within the survey, but like politically, something that was really interesting is that like 50, I think it was like 53% of participants actually said, I will, I abstain from systems, political systems, but I engage in these other ways, whether that's like grassroots organizing, um, yeah, or, or any kind of kind of like activism. And so it's interesting that the majority of the respondents actually said like, I've, I understand that these systems are imperfect. And so I'm finding ways outside of those systems to make some kind of change in society, some kind of change in what I see in, in my country's policies, like things like that. I think that that's really um, interesting and kind of points to what I was talking about before, where like, we're in a time where we're just, everything is being uncovered because we have all this access to information about what's not working. And I think, mm -hmm. I know everybody says this and it's been over a year of a pandemic, but that really uncovered a lot of things about what doesn't work. Um, not just in America, in literally every country. So I think that's, that's uh, something that I am kind of encouraged by is that people aren't just giving up. Um, they're mm -hmm. finding new ways to engage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's nice to hear. Um, I think, yeah, something that stood out from your answer was, I guess the previous, previous answer was like this, um, constant dialogue between media BD. I actually have to like grab my, grab my notebook very subtly to write it down. Cause I think that's a great way of thinking about it. Um, yeah. So I'm wondering her and they're saying if we want to delve a little bit more into the actual report, um, what does Bonnie say about media BD? How is it invoked in Bonnie? Is it invoked at all? I'm wondering if there's similar phrases or terms uh, used in Bonnie. Sure. So, you know, to continue from the last segment of the question, which uh, Jocelyn was beautifully answering, we've always been engaging with imperfect system, including the gurus. So when Guru Nanak is engaged with an imperfect system under the Mughal Empire at the time, and eventually, you know, the Sikhs under the British and the Indian, and now several nation states, what does Guru Nanak do? So what is first thing we need to really understand is, that in Guru Granth Sahib, it is very clear 
that Guru Nanak was starting a new form of Raj. And that's very, very clear in Guru Granth Sahib when it says, Nanak Raj Chalaya Sach Kort Satani Nivde. Guru Nanak did start a Raj, which means at minimum, he was tackling the systems and the policies. That's what we call them today. That's at minimum what Raj is. And uh, when it goes all the way, which means it's not just about reforming and introducing new policies and systems. Now we think system is so corrupt, we're going to actually turn it around and have a revolution, including a political one, to create an alternative form of Raj. So all uh, this is what we see in 550 years of history, and Guru Nanak started it. And if Guru Nanak started there, he very clearly, when, when the Patta de Savaye, historical historicity of Guru Nanak is being presented by them, they say it very clearly that Guru Nanak enjoyed what? Raj Jog Maniyo. Basiyo Nirvair Redantar. That with the fearless, incessantly residing in Guru Nanak's heart, Guru Nanak enjoyed the Raj and the Jog. This is what, you know, what we call in the West, you know, we are caught up in this church and state. And Raj and Jog is actually a little bit different than that. The Jog idea has to do with spirituality, the connection. It's not yoga. It's about when you are connected, connected with the force of the world, the Kuankar of the world. And Raj is when you are being politically active in order to implement that idea of Ekuvankara through your connection. And what it's saying is Guru Nanak enjoyed the spiritual and the political angle. If I flip it from a Western angle just to contextualize a little bit more, you know, the West is debating whether there's a separation between church and state. But even within West, there is no denying that there is always the religious and the political. They actually work together, sometimes separately, sometimes together, to come up with many policy doctrines throughout the world, including how they get implemented, including in Western democracy, not just in monarchical system or other systems uh, throughout history. So Guru Nanak Sahib actually utilizes the word Miri Piri himself. When he says, in the context of Babar's attack, he says, Koti hu peer varj raha hai, So Mir and Peer, Mir comes from Amir, which essentially means that uh, somebody who's a head of a uh, political unit, sometimes called prince. Now we call them by different ministerships, whether it's prime or whether it's president or heads of state of different kinds. Uh, and the peer comes, you know, piri and peer, it's related to the spirituality, somebody who claims to be the head of some spirituality or religious orders. And he says, where were all the spirituals when the political attacked uh, the South Asia. So he utilizes those words and there are many more. The word Peer and Meer, when it's presented in Guru Granth Sahib, because Guru Nanak is dealing with this imperfect system, he, he, he lists as another place where he says, Pest Peer loves you kamai andaja. So he says, just the Peers are worried about this heavenly ideas. And then he says, what are the Meers up to? He says, the Meer Malak Umre Fanaya. Essentially, that there are two different domains and people had defined their boundaries. That's what Guru Sahib was dealing with. And he countered that with this idea of Raj Jog, this idea of bringing Miri Piri together, this idea of what now the, the popular Sikh world calls Pakti Shakti together. Although the same words don't come in Guru Granth Sahib, uh, but the idea of Sir Sat comes in Guru Granth Sahib very clearly. The idea of Bingur Pagat, the word Pakti comes, the devotion comes very clearly. Essentially, what I'm trying to say is, in Guru Granth Sahib, it is so clear that our job here is to, while we are connecting with the Kuankar, the force, the all-pervasive, the light, the Har in this world, uh, at the same time, we use that connection 
to change the realities of the communities we live in, uh, whether they're economic policies, political, and everything in between. Mm -hmm. I hear you kind of already doing it. I'm thinking about, um, like, I think you're already doing like the contextualizing of understand like the of media PD and how it changes and how um, various people under various leaders have understood it. I'm also hearing like what what would be like kind of separating it from our current understanding um, of church and state. So a real like contemporary contextualizing as well. Um, so what I'm kind of getting at is the history section of um, the report where you're both of you are, or everyone that was involved in the report is really trying to um, trace Miri Bidi from Guru Nanak Sahib to Guru Gobind Singh Sahib um, and through several periods of history. So of course, a total of over 550 years. I'm wondering how were understandings of Miri Bidi changing and being influenced by the context. I know you've already touched upon a little bit of, both of you have touched upon the contemporary kind of, um, yeah, thinking about how it's different from how, what we understand as secularism or the separation of church and state. So I'm wondering how has history influenced changing understandings and practices of Midi Bidi, particularly, I guess I'm thinking about post-Guru period. Further saying that question is for you. Okay, sure. I can start and just lean uh, can take over at some point. So, uh, look, one thing is very clear that Miri Piri as an institution got developed from Guru Nanak through Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj period. So there is already a 239 years of training going on there. Now, when we see it, when the Baba Vanda Singh Bahadur is sent to Punjab to practice elements of that, we see it. Like he... Uh, in, in Sikh context, I mean, how he's carrying Miri Piri with him. How is he doing it? Well, he becomes of the Guru. We have a ceremony for that, you know, Khande Badegi Paul or initiation ceremony, Amrit popularly. He's given the royal symbols, you know, five arrows and the five to consult with in order to create policies. And he becomes the implementer. So the Miri Piri comes into play as to how he captures the Raj in Punjab and how he becomes the administrator there how he releases the coins and the seals, how he appoints uh, the administrative heads and the political heads, how he does not disturb even the Nakshabandi orders, religious places, because we don't do that. Even if somebody has been responsible for uh, making the legal cases for assassinations or what we call martyrdoms of Guru Arjan Saab, Guru Tegh Bahadur Saab, Chote Saab Zadis, all of that. Banda Singh Bahadur did it. So essentially every period, if you look at from Baba Bandar till uh, Maharaja Ranjit Singh period, until 1849, 18th century is a great example of how Miri Piri, every generation wrestled with, and they came up with their solution in the realities they lived in. In fact, it's beautifully captured in one of the compositions by Pai Gurdas Singh. He wrote something called Ram Kali Var Parshahi Dasmiki. And I, I really like this composition because it's dated around 1783, I think. Uh, but in there, he invokes, he says, what has happened? So this is the 18th century period. He says, Meer Peer Sab Chap Mazbo Ultana. That the spiritual and the political have eloped, or they're hiding, actually. And Mazhab, the organized religion, has gone crazy, which means upside down, Ultana. Essentially, he's saying, this is the reality the Khalsa was dealing with. And in this reality, then Khalsa became organized. 
He calls Khalsa the third mazhab, the third organized religion, the alternative to the two organized religions, because Khalsa is organized. In order to implement Miri Piri, you have to be very organized. Any movement will tell you to bring any policy changes, you have to be organized. So 18th century six did it in various ways. Dal Khalsa did it in their way. Missile period did it in this way. They survived the two major Lukaras. They survived multiple genocidal campaigns. They declared the Sikh Raj when capturing Lahore in 1765. So Miri Piri, is evolving. Miri Piri is being practiced. The definitions are not being changed. The meaning of Miri Piri is not changing. But after 1849, if I may just stop at this second, uh, just mention this much and then stop, that after 1849, we see how Miri Piri is being used by a state now, especially the British Empire. And then in 47, how the definitions of Miri Piri are being changed. So for the first 150 years after the Guru period, Six understood the institution, the doctrine, and they implemented it in their best capacities, including by organizing the Khalsa. After the advent of British Empire and within the Indian state, both the appropriation of Miri Piri started and there, was, there has been a concerted effort to change the understanding of Miri Piri and redefine it in the last 70 years within the Indian state as well. Just the inquiry. I'm wondering if you want to talk a little bit about um, that 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 appropriation and how the state has been uh, actively shifting this definition and our understandings of BDPD. Yeah, I think something that we had talked about in in kind of the the British period the, with the Crown um, is the way that they kind of yeah sort of twisted understanding of BDPD doctrine to serve the state, and so it became very much about pacifying us um, by kind of like providing Guru Granth Sahib to certain Sikh regiments or um, kind of allowing Sikhs to keep their external identifiers and and sort of their practices, but kind of divorcing, yeah, divorcing our understanding of what it means to be um, embodying that doctrine from, yeah, like divorcing the spiritual from from the political so that our understanding of MIDI-PD became that because we are sovereign or because we have this sort of element of, of a principle that's sort of left, then that means that our defense of the state is, is somehow honoring MIDI-PD. And I think that is something that we still see. Like there's still six who, and I don't, you know, I don't want to get too into it because we all have our opinions on this, but there are still six who say like, oh, well, if I serve... Uh, like as a police officer or if I serve as a soldier, um, that's me practicing midi-bidi. And again, don't want to get too far into that argument, but like a lot of that understanding I think is rooted in that switch that happens um, in a sort of secularization of midi-bidi, if I can say that, um, where it's not about honoring that doctrine through like service to people and the core sort of like principles that we understand of oneness, right? Like it's about serving a power or serving as an extension of a power. Um, and when we talk about like sovereignty, our idea of sovereignty is only rooted in the eternal. It's rooted in a Kalpurik. It's not about place or state or time. <laughs> and so I think that that question of like how we understand Midi and by extension, how we understand what it means to say like, I'm sick and therefore I understand myself as sovereign. Like, what does that actually mean? Um, I think that like we see what was done 
during this period where the British had like kind of reappropriated Medi-Pedi doctrine and we see its effects still today. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's one big thing. I think we had also talked about just like revolutionaries who embodied Medi-Pedi kind of in its, in its form as we understand it to be from the Guru period were a huge threat to the British and we're jailed and we're, we're seen as enemies of the state. And these are people that we kind of always think of. I mean, we talked about five years We think about five years as this kind of like quiet man who like wrote a lot of poetry and beautiful words, but he wasn't, that's not all he did. And there are these people who understood what it meant to assert that doctrine, not just in their writing, but in their like organization of the people in educating people in mobilizing people. And that is so threatening to the state. And we see that even now in India, where like, if you embody Medi-Pedi doctrine, the, the term terrorist gets thrown around quite a lot. <laughs> so yeah, we're seeing that still. And I think that revisiting the Guru period and revisiting, you know, primary and secondary sources as we understand or try to better understand Medi-Pedi will help us kind of recenter and unlearn some of that um, some of that sort of shifting in understanding, if that makes sense. I think, I think it makes complete sense. I think it's really like what I'm understanding from what you're sharing is like a very, is like a dilution of what meaty BD is to serve like colonial means or to serve the nation state, which of course makes sense. Like you shared that that would be something that would serve like colonial states and perhaps contemporary like nation states well to kind of yeah suppress that um suppress a doctrine that could like um yeah liberate or uh go against like the wants of the state so i think to me that's a yeah a very important facet of both colonialism and the contemporary nation state but i don't want to ramble too much about that um yeah kind of bringing it into the contemporary because uh, yeah, I could ramble forever, but uh, bringing it into the contemporary, uh, things have changed. Um, I think that's kind of where we're headed to um, within our conversation. Um, we're all, uh, we as in six, are living under many nation states. So how are we currently practicing Medi-Bidi under these nation states? So I guess more of those like action items that folks, I guess, were struggling with on uh, the survey. Particularly, I'm referring here, I guess, to the Rehit section, where you're exploring uh, varying questions related to Medi-Bidi application in different nation states. Um, what that looks like, how that's, what that has looked like, um, perhaps what it could look like. Um, but my question is, how have we and how can we practice Medi-Bidi in these varying contexts. Uh, and they're saying, perhaps you could start us off. Sure. So let me again start from uh, early 20th century, right? So what Jasleen was describing, I at the same time want to mention that even gurus were creating alliances in the imperfect systems. That doesn't mean that we do not understand the doctrine fully. And even, even when state is trying to overpower the doctrine or redefine it. So for example, in the late 19th and early 20th century, uh, even when Sikhs are dealing with crown, they know what's going on and the crown knows that Khalsa is not going to completely accept them. At some point, they're going to revolt. So some thought our way of practicing in this imperfect system is to join them and then fight for our Sikh sovereignty in Punjab. Others thought, let's join their adversaries, you know, by joining the Japanese and the Germans through the Indian National Army, which was founded by General Mohan Singh. And that's how they were trying to fight it. 
And there were others who were independents, uh, like Babarakalis. So yes, Paiveer Singh and Santatar Singh were creating education disruption, even within the colonial uh, system. Uh, at the other side, there were the militant wings, you know, like the Babarakalis, who were uh, the predecessors to uh, the left movements, the Pagat Singhs and the Kartar Singhs Sarabas of the time. And they were all practicing Viri Piri in imperfect systems as they've understood, as they best understood. What the reason I'm bringing this back again is, but at the time, the Sikh groups didn't say that they are sellouts. And this is very important to understand. If somebody is working with the system, knowing it's an imperfect system, like we do it today too, that doesn't mean that they don't understand Miri Piri. There might be cases of those, but they might, they're thinking this is all they can do at this given moment because they don't have complete geographical or what we now call nation state uh, sovereignty. So in, in 20th century and now in 21st, you know, what we are dealing with is, you know, where we have not elected officials, we are struggling to do that in America, for example. And we think by uh, becoming part of the system here, whether it's armed forces, whether it's polices, whether it's attorney generals, whether it's mayors, whether it is uh, winning local elections, mayoral elections or state senators, state reps, eventually maybe we can get to what the Leap Singh Song had done, you know, 50 years ago. Uh, that's an aspiration. It's a wrestling. This is the wrestling going on. So if, uh, if, if certain Sikhs feel this is not the way to do it, they should create more alternatives. But in the countries like Canada, where they have achieved up to 19 positions, even at a federal level and ministership levels and cabinet levels, uh, the question we are raising, and we need to raise much more, that especially if they are initiated Sikhs, can they really serve the state as well as the Panth? How will they do that when they come to conflict with their political party or when there's a conflict with the charter, for example, in Canada? You know, we, we are facing that. And in, in countries like Canada, the questions we are trying to raise are, well, now they have made it to, although they're less MPs, but they're also lordships. There are many OBEs, civil servants, armed forces everywhere, six have aided. But when the question comes up, for example, in ethnic coding, can they start to develop consensus before they make their public positions, even after they have made public positions? How do six and asserting Niri PD create consensus where there's a varying approach, even within the Sikh fold, but it isn't uh, uh, centered around the state? In that case, UK's ethnic law, ethnic coding laws. And lastly, and not least, you know, India, we have SGTC elections, we have Gurdwara politics going on and DSGMC. We have Punjab elections coming up. Everyone's wondering, well, if Navjot Sidhu, for example, can quote very nicely from Gurbani and can invoke Banda Singh Bahadur and other people, including Gurgobind Singh Maharaj, can he actually deliver something for Sikhs in Punjab if he becomes a CM or as an MP or if he becomes a minister? Because we are seeing this in India quite a bit. Sikhs have served in all political parties there, all major political parties. You know, they have been heads of states in terms of prime ministership and presidentship. They have been heads of army. They have been heads of minority commissions, planning commissions. They have been CMs. But we still have not delivered more for Punjab and for Sikhi. We are still getting defined by the upper house of parliament as to who even a Sikh is. The National Security Advisor of India, G. Doval, is, is on record saying that we will be defining the Miri Piri of the Sikhs now. This is the situation we are caught up in. We need to understand how definitions are being changed in certain spaces. 
and how Miri Piri uh, uh, is not a monolith when it comes to creating some tough soil choices. But in order to create that choice, in order to even have three, four different ways of practicing, we must understand at the highest level of Miri Piri, and the doctrine itself actually demands that each individual, each Sikh, is sovereign. And we only answer to Akal Purk as a sovereign, and the nation states will come and go. We will fight the nation states when they are regressive, when they violate the Ikhwankar and Nam principles, and we will join them in creating alliances when we are fighting a larger adversary who's violating them at, at a larger levels. Just like Gore, I'm wondering if there's something, yeah, if there's anything that you wanted to add around um, understandings of how Midi Beer is contemporary, contemporarily practiced. Yeah, I'll say I've, I've definitely like revealed myself to be sort of still trying to understand that point that Herner made, which is that our understanding of Medipedia is not going to be monolithic. And I find myself having to <laughs> remind myself of that. So I'm glad he added those points. I think um, the only other thing I'll say is, you know, when you when you read the report out later today, um, <laughs> you'll see that the questions that we ask based on context are different because different communities are in different places. And so the questions about, you know, representation change depending on where we're looking at. And then we also are coming to conclusions about representation not being the ending point, but being the starting point. And so then what are the questions that we're asking ourselves once we're in those positions, like Herndur Singh has just said. So I think those are important points that I still have to remind myself of that like idea that our understandings are going to be different and how we choose to act upon those understandings are going to be different. Something we talked about when we were drafting the report was how caught up we get in like left, right politics, um, how caught up we get in those labels, not just in like North America, but all over. And I think um, something that I kind of learned as we were having these conversations is that like our understandings of like media PD doctrine are not going to fit neatly into those boxes. And like we saw in the, in the period that we were talking about before where people are making different alliances, like it's just going to look different depending on how we understand the doctrine and what we understand as being the best move in a moment for us as individuals and, and sort of funthically. Um, one thing that I did want to talk about, like going back to what I had said about the, the survey responses and engaging in other ways is that we did explore examples of that. And so we did talk about like the 92 Punjab elections and how like the the question there was like about opting out and how that didn't really work out for us. And so we're looking at all these examples. And I think part of what I would encourage people to do, what I also need to do, <laughs> really bring you back to that, is like, is to continue to look at how we have tried to answer these questions in different ways throughout history and how that's going to keep happening. And if you can find an example that seemed to kind of like work for people and that seems to resonate with your understanding of media doctrine, then like that's what we can go with. And something that we're seeing with the farmers movement and in the survey results is that engagement and our understanding of what it means to politi be politically engaged has expanded. And I think before we can kind of, actually we shouldn't ever, <laughs> before we can ever like have conversations about maybe what is more in line with the doctrine, have to come to those understandings both individually and in like smaller groups um, about like what media PD doctrine is 
and how we've understood it both in like the distant past and in the recent past. Um, so yeah, I think that's something that I'll, I'll remind people of that I'm, I was reminded of through this conversation, which is that like, it is not ever going to be a situation where we all think the same thing about, about politics and how to politically engage. It's about um, kind of moving beyond like labels, which we're really good at doing. We're really good at like rooting ourselves in labels, especially in like the Twitter age, uh, but moving beyond those things and having larger, more nuanced conversations about how we understand the doctrine and then how we, act in the world based on that understanding. Um, so I know that that's not like the, the, we say this every time, but that's not the like clear cut answer that people maybe are always looking for of like, this is what you should do. And this is what you should believe because that's just not, that's not how we've ever done it. Um, and we see that in the guru period too. So uh, I think, yeah, I think that's what I'll leave it with on that one. Mm-hmm. To me, it sounds like, um, like what direction is the answer in, as opposed to like, this is the answer, which can be super difficult and like frustrating to not have that like clear cut answer. But like, I keep going back to it, but like folks weren't hundred percent sure on like what the solution could be. So there's no way that like that answer could be provided. So, um, like, yeah, nice and wrapped up in a box. Um, yeah, it was really resonating with me from both of your answers, like how empathetic your stance was. And I think that can be so hard. Um, understanding why, like, why sort of folks might understand maybe be to be understood or defined or practiced in certain ways. So, yes, a good reminder that we all have our understandings of like what is the correct answer. But yeah, meeting folks where they're at. Um, so I guess yeah, moving into the like, how do we practice? Um, meaty BD or what that could look like. Um, what is it that can help us assert meaty BD as it has been explained today, both individually and as parts of organizations? So I'm really reflecting, there's a question I think um, in the report that um, is framed around how do Sikhs navigate Sikh issues, Punjab issues and in Indian issues. Um, without involving political leaders as the center of their struggles, but to without involving um, political leaders as the center of their struggles, but still to pressure the capital C center. So I'm wondering, um, yeah, how can Miribidi be used in that, in those contexts, both individually and uh, within organizations and institutions? Her and they're saying we can start with you. Sure. I mean, the the only clear-cut answers uh, six can collectively agree on, and I is that the clear answer comes from Garbani because that's what's not debatable. Everything else is debatable because we're de- dealing with imperfect systems, as we keep calling them now. So the, the today's hukum gives us one clear answer, you know, where it says sab upar par brahmadatha. This is the hukum from uh, Sri Harmandar Sahib at uh, Sri Amritsar. And you know, from Darbar Sahib, it's saying Sabupar, like above all, because this is where the politics and the spirituality is. There are levels we have created. Instead of invoking those within us, which is what Guru has asked us to do and Sikhs aspire to do, we have created the bosses, you know, the, the hierarchies of these. And, and we are reminded, well, even if you're operating in that hierarchical system, even though sometimes you think you're in a circle or even that there are hierarchies, you know, even then, just remember this, Sabupar, that above all is Par Brahmdatar, is the transcendent um, uh, giver. 
And so what is that reminder for? The second line says, Teri take, tera aadhaar. I rely on you. I, my support is you. So this understanding is the Sikh understanding, if I can call it the Sikh understanding, because that's what Guru Arjan Sahib is telling us today. If we operate with this as an individual, I'll just pick one example each. Uh, as an individual, I really need to figure out what Miri Piri is as a doctrine. We really need to understand that our vocabulary is as, as entertained and described and articulated and enshrined in Guru Granth Sahib starts with Raj joke, how to enjoy the spiritual and the political within you as Guru Nanak did and enjoy it perpetually. What does that mean? I think we need to delve into that because the, 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 just the political and just the spiritual were not enjoying, they were looting people. They were putting things upside down as it has been recorded. So that's the number one recommendation. How do I enjoy the Raj and Jog? If Guru Nanak is my model, and that's what he did on this earth, starting from his declaration, you know, from his project called Punjab, but he took it global. You know, in that time, he took it literally from Saudi Arabia to Sri Lanka and everything in between. So that's the number one recommendation, understanding Raj Jog no Manana Kemeya, how to enjoy the 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 ability to decipher to create the right policies while being in direct connection with the force of the world and the first uh, institutional recommendation i would say is well then the institutions really need to get into how to train people on this because personal understanding is very powerful but to organize you got to have these trainings our gurdwaras our institutions cannot just be the PD centers, you see. They never were. And since they've been reduced to that in the last 100 years or so, where I've been told growing up in Kansas City, Gurdwara which political girl nahi karni. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, this was my response. Like, where would I go down? Because that's what Guru taught in his Gurdwaras, in his Taramsas. And that's what Sikhs have done. Whether it was the first Gurdwara in Stockton, California, or in the... Khalsa Devan Society in Vancouver, or whether it was in Medan in Indonesia, or anywhere throughout South Asia. That's what we did. So institutions need to really, really do their soul searching, their trustees and their boards, instead of spending everything to create personal legacies in the local cities. So you can say that I did this, I built this Gurdwara. The legacies need to shift towards how do we engage as collective as the collective of Miri Piri, the doctrine in the local politics of my community, in the state or the nation state national politics, as well as the Sikh politics, which is being manipulated from Akal Tak Sahab all the way to um, local Gurdwaras uh, through their agents and through their alliances. So those are the two things, personally really delving into Rajjog and institutionally, training people uh, to nuance this, to create an effective organized action to change the policies around us. Mm -hmm. As you're speaking, it's also reminding me of the conversation that we were having at the beginning of this webinar around, can you serve the state uh, and the month? Or yeah, are the two compatible? Can both be done? So it just seems like these are like questions 
um, a question maybe that can be like transplanted and changed, of course, into different contexts. Like, and I think um, even that we don't talk about politics in the Gurdwara, I think it's like a little bit naive and that even that statement is already political. And I think like the, the political is already tied into that, um, into that question. Um, yeah, but I'm just lean core. I'll let you um, add on if there's anything that you wanted to share about the individual and institutional um, applications or engagings with BDPD. Yeah. The only thing that I'll add, and this is kind of based on, like what I've seen people, how I've seen people frame kind of issues that we see as like outside of our, our own issues, because they are, they're not, you know, they're not sick issues, but maybe like, for example, in the discussion about like Palestine that was happening in May, um, I think we have a tendency to, to like kind of tunnel vision our, our issues uh, or have tunnel vision for only our issues. And we're not seeing kind of the larger systems at play or the larger relationships at play and so I think something that we had put in the recommendation section as well is like, if you are principle centered in your politics, um, then it's not just about sick issues. Obviously sick issues are important and should take, you know, the front seat on how you engage with politics, but understanding how to like coalition build and how to build alliances, um, both institutionally and like as an individual, like, are you showing up for, for other causes outside of your own, um, I think that's important. And I think sometimes the conversation then becomes like, well, they didn't show up for us. And so for that, I will say, um, bring it to like Asaki Bar, like, what does it mean to be a lover of the beloved? It does not involve transaction. And so this like expectation that we will only show up for other people when, if, and when they show up for us, I think that is a thing that once you become more principle centered and more like rooted in what Midi doctrine is about, which is, it's about Ikonkar. Like you will be able to, to involve yourself in that kind of allyship without constantly keeping score. Um, and I think that like, when we do that, it terrifies the state, no matter what state we're talking about, it terrifies them because when we can understand our issues as interconnected, um, and we can organize to change things. I think that that, I mean, we can't do it alone. Um, so I would say that that's like a big thing is being able to see our issues and what we would like to see changed within a larger sort of play, if I can use that word, um, and understanding how to build relationships with people um, where that principle centeredness is the thread that, that carries us through. Um, yeah, that's the only thing I'll add. I would also invite anyone um, joining us in our webinar today to share their questions that they might have in our chat box. I do see that we have a couple, so we'll get to those uh, very soon. Um, but yeah, if you have any any questions, please do share them in the chat box. I guess um, before we delve into those questions, uh, I will give my question. Um, Primacy. <laughs> I wanted to choose like a, a neutral word. Um, so I'm interested in thinking more about borders um, and how, I guess, I'm trying to situate it within the Sikh context. So I'm thinking about borders and how this relates both to Sikh sovereignty and needy beauty. And that was kind of what was coming up for me 
both because that's what I'm reading right now and as I was preparing for this webinar. And I don't want to delve like too much into the conversation around six sovereignty because I'm mindful of uh, today we are here and gathered to talk about Meaty Beaty. Um, and in that context, how what how does Meaty Beaty inform our understandings of contemporary borders? Uh, or what some might refer to as border imperialism, um, and how does that influence our understandings of six sovereignty? So I'm thinking about Medipiri as it impacts the creation of borders and how that impacts our understanding of six sovereignty. I hope that was clear. Um, and if it was, Hrindar Singh, would you like to answer? <laughs> I mean, I can attempt to answer if I understood it right. But look, this question is very much in the context of post 20, 20th century democracies in the world because they started deciding, you know, who carries the passport and where the boundaries of the nations lie and who can cross it, who can enter it, right? So in this context, I think Sardar Kapoor Singh has a, a solution which he presented. And he actually put it in this frame that, uh, that in the democratic societies, what really is going on? And I think this is where um, there's a contradiction, he says, and every Sikh needs to deal with this. And what is that contradiction? That there is a collective action. Sikhs have a collective conviction, rather. And that collective con uh, conviction is now in contradiction to that the state is demanding allegiance. This is where the rubber meets the road, as we say, even today. You know, we live in a particular nation state, and that state demands our allegiance. At the same time, we have a collective conviction of the six, which is what we are calling the Miripiri doctrine in this case. So he's saying, how do we deal with this? And he's acknowledging there are going to be frictions and this is what we've been presenting. There will always be friction, whether you talk about the Palestinian issue as a US uh, citizen or whether you do it from the Indian perspective or Sikh perspective, regardless of your nation states, or whether you talk about, you know, what is happening in Punjab right now on the farmers protest. So this, these frictions exist, we must acknowledge, and they will continue to exist. But if there is something which we can figure out, the solution we do have, and he says, the solution lies in understanding and practicing the process of Meri Piri. And he actually uses this phrase. He says, if it does not happen, if this contradiction is not getting solved, the problem is that the process we have adopted and the people we have picked to implement these processes Fort lies there. It is because of the process and the people we are not able to implement and solve this contradiction for ourselves. Now, he does say with the hope that if we are able to solve this contradiction, he's not going to solve it for us. Guru Gobind Singh or Guru Nanak Maharaj wasn't solving it for us. They were telling us how to solve it for ourselves. So he says, if we are able to solve this for ourselves, he says that state whether it is deciding on the next border or whether it's giving our input on no one is illegal campaign as it happens in Canada as well and other countries now. He says when the Sikhs are able to do that with the right process and the right people, then Sikhs will become the most invaluable assets of that state because we have allowed Miri Piri to change the realities, the policies as we call them today. He says, but if it does not happen, then they will be frustrated and suppress Sikhs in every nation states, not just in India, including in America, Canada, and every other country we are living, 15 major diasporas. And when there are suppressed and frustrated Sikhs, regardless of which state they are in, there will be weakness in the strength of that nation. And we are seeing this. Where are larger numbers or larger coalitions 
or movements have sprung up. Uh, and mostly we see this in the uh, nation state of India, but we are beginning to see when there are movements, like I saw this in Myanmar. It's a country we generally don't think about where the youngsters, the college students showed up on the street and what is happening in Burma. They're very few in number. In fact, most of them are businessmen even. So their businesses are gonna be jeopardized, but they decided to join their sons and daughters that as Burmese, it's important to go protest and show solidarity, whatever the military is doing in that country. So my point is this Kapoor Singh's dictum from what he articulated 50 years ago is very important. It speaks directly to the democratic societies. Our role in those democratic societies is to solve this contradiction. And if we are able to solve, we will, we can solve it if we adopt the right Miri Piri process and we bring the right trained people to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think uh, what I'm thinking about and what I'm reflecting on is like the direction in which like that quote um, and the examples that you've shared can kind of, uh, what direction it, that, those quotes and what you've shared can move us. Um, so that's, that's really helpful for me. Just think, or I'm wondering if there's anything that you wanted to add around <laughs> borders and Saki and... <laughs> um, I will say I won't say you know I think I've sort of revealed my politics a little bit on this but I will say that um, I've thought a lot about uh, Harsha Walia's work and um, and what she says about how borders function and I think it comes back to this understanding of like the larger things at play and I think that's part of our duty as people in the world not just citizens under nation states to understand how these things function. And if our, if our principles that we are rooted in are rooted, in, if we're rooted in Ikonkar, then like we have to understand the violence that certain systems sort of, yeah, commits against people, not just our own people. I mean, because we have refugees coming from Punjab into the United States all the time. And I don't think that a lot of people um, maybe know that uh, depending on what bubbles they live in, but it's not just about us. And I think being able to to educate ourselves about the things at play is part of our duty. And I think that starts to happen when we understand Midi PD doctrine a little bit better. I'll also say, and I know I said this to you like a couple nights ago when been there, but I'll, I think a lot about um, Granonic Sabs like Udasis and how mm -hmm. absolutely just impossible that would have been to do in our current sort of configurations of nation states. And I think that's the thing worth sort of reminding ourselves of a little bit, that like interaction with other people and dialogue with other people is is important to us historically. And um, and to to uh, to kind of like look at the way that fear has been kind of pushed um, mm -hmm. in policy is another thing that's worth understanding because our, our politics and our principles are not rooted in fear. Um, so that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that comment like kind of made me chuckle because I think that's something that like I've heard lots of folks who I talk to who um, identify as sick. I've heard them like uh, really emphasize the traveling and discovering. Uh, yeah, within within Saki. So it's like I think that was just like we would you would need a visa to go anywhere within like contemporary border formations and i think it like obviously sounds funny but it's also true um yeah like where are we where are folks where are they allowed where are they not allowed um both literally and uh, metaphorically and even on your comment to fear i think actually there's a question in the chat around fear so 
um, maybe we could touch on that. Uh, Amrik shares um, uh, perhaps that six have different interests, um, that six we can be, I guess, can be in Amrik's experiences are easily scared perhaps. And it is a scary thought to think about going against the state and not being, um, I guess, uh, beloved by the state or helped by the state because that yeah that makes sense so how do, how do we perhaps like overcome that fear um and maybe i think this is a good exact a good space to think about uh, both recommendations from the report and maybe what that's looked like in your lives um understandings around overcoming fear or overcoming um wanting to put Miri beauty into practice Thing. Maybe let's start with you. Sure. Um, so, you know, the, the fear factor, let's bring that in, right? Uh, the fear is always present there. What's the antidote of fear in Gurbani? Uh, you know, and the biggest model of that started with Guru Nanak Saab for us. In fact, even that quote, which I mentioned, Raj Jog Maneo, it says, what is in his heart? It says Nirvair. So Nirpao and Nirvair come together. You will see this. The way you know the fear is gone that the animosity is gone towards anyone, including a very corrupt state. You are going to fight that corrupt state, but you don't have that benevolent attitudes toward the individuals who are representing the state. That's Guru Nanak for us. I know it's tough, but Sikhs have done it. You know, uh, Baba Vanda Singh Bahadur did it in the last 30 years, and in fact, some of the people are even now doing it, but it's a rare phenomenon. And this is why Six, the Miripiri people who practice is a rare phenomena, but we are working towards creating that conviction collectively. So uh, the way to overcome fear in Gurbani is to become the embodiment of the fearless. And mm -hmm. how you become that, this is where we work on our habits to be like a Kuankar. To And we start with, do I, working with this oneness paradigm, working with the Satnam idea that my identities, the temporary identities don't matter. The eternal identity matters, right? Which in the case of, you know, humanity is a more larger identity and a longer identity than Harinder Singh's in the particular locale, right? Uh, so that's what Gurbani says, that you work to become like the Kovankar. And the way you know it has happened is you will feel the grace. When you feel the grace, you know it has happened because Nirpa is in the middle of it. And then it goes all the way to self-elimination. That's what we call mool mantra. So simple answer is fear is big. You, you bet. Fear is very big everywhere. And yes, Guru Nanak did not need passports, you know. But you know what? At his time, even within India now, if you want to go to Jagannath Puri temple, you will not be allowed. There were other hindrances. Mm -hmm. So the external manifestations keep changing. So I don't think you can say it was a better time. You ask any woman, they'll tell you, no, this is the best time. <laughs> Right? So I think we cannot use just like the understanding of today to apply to the past. It was easier. Not really. I mean, you were, uh, can you even imagine anyone entering Kaaba and putting your feet towards the Kaaba today? So every situation is evolving. We have our own sets of challenges because back then there were monarchical systems. Now we're dealing with post-Westminster-style democracies in the world, and the post-democracy models are being looked upon. Our role is to look into those models. Some of us should be looking at what are those models from a Miri Piri perspective. Some of us need to be looking at if they're participating within a state, 
how do I change the game or can I even change the game as to how the voter suppression is happening, even if I'm part of the Republican National Committee or party right now? Those are the nuanced conversation I think we need to get to. So the fears, antidote is love and Gurbani, it happens when we invoke the Kohankar within, both the spiritual and the political together. It's a symbiotic relationship. And that allows us, uh, we have the courage, we have the curiosity, and we have this healthy tension and controversies which we are able to take on them. I think, yeah, again, I think that's a, a helpful context uh, or questions and thoughts to move from. I thought that was going to be a hard question, so I kind of gave it a pause. But yeah, I think that fear factor, um, yeah, I think that yeah was very helpful for my understanding. Just lean, I'm wondering if you want to add anything. No, I mean, I think, yeah, that was great. <laughs> I, I will say that, I mean, we've all seen like videos coming out of the farmers movement and seeing, you know, there's an element of fearlessness there. It doesn't mean that people aren't scared some of the time, but to do what people have been doing for the last year um, requires fearlessness and that's not rooted in nothing. They are drawing mm -hmm. upon Bonnie and history and they're invoking it in their interviews. There's like 13 year old kids invoking this stuff in their interviews because that is what fuels them. And so I think, you know, Herner already said it best, but like we have the the tools to get to that place and Bonnie gives them to us. And we know that that antidote is, is love. So we've seen it. It's possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am mindful. Oh. I, I actually want to make it a little bit more real. Not only is it sure. possible, we increase the probability of it happening when we actually start invoking Miri Piri within us. Mm -hmm. When enough of us do it, when several of us do it, and when that several doesn't mean half of Sikh population is doing it, uh, it might even be only half a percentage of Sikh population doing it, it creates a remarkable shift in the thinking of those who want to accomplish and change the policies. Mm -hmm. Because that's, and then there is an emotional outburst from the people who support all that. So that shift is becomes... Uh, you, you take it to high probability of actually happening when enough of us do the mental and the spiritual and the emotional and that politics is, is intertwined, you know, what I call symbiotically, uh, which means that if for six, uh, you know, the, the spirituality does not exist without politics and that politics does not exist without spirituality. They really are built together. That's what Raj Yoga is. That's what Piri Piri is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's just bringing back that like constant dialogue that Justine Gore was also talking about, um, like how the two are like intimately tied. And I know we just spoke about this last year. So if folks are interested in uh, hearing more about, I guess, uh, yeah, what is Meaty BD, which perhaps we haven't like fully explored, but maybe I, we have. Um, if they're interested in more of that conversation, there is a, a webinar from last year where we do delve into that a little bit more. I am conscious of the time because I know it is. Wednesday, the middle of the workday. So I appreciate everyone uh, coming in and joining this conversation. Um, I do have like one final question. Uh, and then if any others pop up, we're happy to answer those as well. Um, I'm wondering how both of your understandings of MediPD shifted after writing this report. And I know we've kind of touched upon these, but I'm wondering, yeah, if there's, um, yeah, any key nuggets things you were thinking about, things that you now think about differently as a result of engaging with this work. 
Uh, Justine Cora, we can start with you. Yeah, I think I hinted at it a little earlier that like, <laughs> you know, I've got, I still have a lot to learn about how I understand this, this doctrine, because I am stubborn in my, in my politics. And I think a lot of us are. Um, but I think the, the biggest thing has been, or the biggest sort of like eye opener has been looking at how we've like always been wrestling with this understanding or, or I guess how always wrestling with how to live out and how we understand it. Um, and that isn't new. And there's something kind of like reassuring about that um, because it gets really easy to like look at our current moment and be like, oh my God, we've lost the plot. And it's like, well, no, we actually have been, we've been struggling with this forever. Um, and, and I also think like having tangible examples to go back to to see how diverse that understanding has been in, in practice um, is helpful in getting to a place where I'm not, you know, shaming other people <laughs> for, for things that I maybe don't agree with. And then I think uh, one last thing is that it is reassuring to know, to have a sort of a, a multifaceted understanding of what it means to, to be political in the world. Um, because I think, again, a thing that I hinted at earlier is that like there are a lot of people who are like very much jaded with the systems in place, but that doesn't mean we like turn our backs on what is is going on and kind of like throw our hands in the air and let it go. Um, and it's been really incredible to see people engaging in new ways, um, which you know, I mean, Harsha Wali has been an activist since like before two thousand one, but people are engaging with their work now because like we have to, and we're, we're hungry for that kind of engagement. And that's really reassuring. Um, and, and being able to like sort of draft this and talk about this while watching the like mass organization that's been happening with the farmers is like, it's just been very incredible and feels very lucky to, to be able to like have those things side by side. Um, yeah, that's all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's helpful to understand, like, yeah, what your what your meaty beauty, how it shifts, what it looks like, how that can change. Um, yeah, I think that that's what I'm understanding from your from your comment or they're saying. Wondering if there's anything you'd like to add. I, you know, my uh, while working on this report, I'm specifically one translation really hit me. I had read this multiple times but I didn't really engage with it as much because this time I was translating it for the audience to see how to contextualize it. This whole 18th century description of how Khalsa actually is the organized form of Sikhi. You know, we, we all have our understanding of what religion is, what organized religion is. Well, the organized part in Sikhi is the Khalsa. And when uh, Pai Gurdas Singh was uh, writing that in the way he is written, you know, we know the last line. We all sing it on Gurpurvs, on Vasaki, Vaho Vaho Govind Singh, Ape Gurchilla. That actually is the last line of that party. It's a very long party where he's describing that how the Khalsa got organized to take on this Meers and the Peaks because they were utterly corrupt. And they did it at the time where it was almost impossible to do because we talk like this, right? Is it possible? It was almost impossible to do. Because half of the Sikh population was killed in one day, and the two-third, and the, these are the two Vadekal Nukaras. We don't have the resources. Mm -hmm. 
So this particular translation, very graphic one, which talks about what has happened, who really is the Bujdev, and who really are the corrupt, and who really are uh, the ones who are creating the most amount of persecution. Within all that, it says, So in this, I don't think we understand uh, this mentorship which gurus were providing and then uh, creating the proteges to be the next leader. And this particular graphic description, uh, as it got played out in very tumultuous time, in a very, you can say today we will say it was bloody, it was nasty. Well, we are seeing this in 2021 as well. Whether it is, you know, Harsha Wali has been invoked twice. Yes, the same organization has demanded her resignation. And I remember engaging with her when it was early time in uh, 15, 17 years ago, uh, I would actually encourage, and I think our community is embracing her. Uh, but the same activists also need to understand and embrace Miri Piri. They, even if they don't personally do it, they must understand why Sikhs do. The Khalsa does what it does as well, because many of them fight this, including her. Uh, so it is not that we need to see eye to eye with the people we build alliances. We must understand why the Khalsa does what Khalsa does. That's what Miri Piri is. Khalsa is the organized force. And if individuals are not able to organize because they're using a bad form of the process and really bad people to do it, that's a problem of process and people. It's not a problem of Miri Piri. Miri Piri may not sense to many people, but as six, it makes a lot of sense to us. It is part of our psyche. And whether it is fighting with the Sikh Chattedars themselves or fighting with the Gurdwara and SGPC elections or the states or the nation states, the doctrine stands. It is us individuals who have to really become comfortable with it and then figure out how to organize with others in order to deliver not just for the Sikhs in Punjab or Sikhs anywhere in the world, but as Jasleen has been pointing out, you know, the geographical realities are temporary measures, including for Sikhs and Khalsa. Our ultimate goal is uh, to be able to see Miri Piri uh, as a tool to deliver justice everywhere, to deliver equity, not just equality everywhere. Thank you to you both. Um, I think this conversation has, as always, left me with like lots to think about. I don't think I've actually been thinking about like issues or anything related to Sikhi for a long time so it was nice to like prepare for this conversation and have this conversation of course um, I'm sure Justine and I will keep talking about it uh, in the coming days um, I would like on behalf of Sikri I'd like to thank all of today's wonderful speakers um, for their insightful for this insightful conversation um, as always, a recording of this webinar will be available within 24 hours. Um, and lastly, please tune in to the SICCAST, a podcast produced by SICRI, where we explore the various issues and events affecting SICS worldwide. Thank you for joining in. Today's webinar will be ending now. You are listening to Sick Cast by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path.